I think this is really when the stalking started. It was the second that I got away from him. He just texted me constantly and called me nonstop until I blocked him. And then he used an app on his phone to give him another number to text me. And at this point, I was like, I'm going to call the police if you do not stop this. Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. On today's episode of Strictly Stalking, we're chatting with Skye. While working on her PhD, Skye meets a brilliant and charismatic neuroscience student we'll call Daniel. Daniel immediately befriends Skye and begins driving her to and from work, texts her constantly, and then starts to isolate her from her family and friends. After Skye breaks up with her then-boyfriend, Daniel becomes her shoulder to cry on and quickly persists that he and Skye should start dating. And that's when his reign of physical and emotional abuse begins. Sky reached out to us after listening to Strictly Stalking and hearing some of our brave guests come forward. And now she's ready to share her own story of survival. Sky, thank you for joining us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. My name is Sky. I am currently a PhD student at West Virginia University. I study brain development, and I have had to deal with a stalker now for a few years. When did this all begin? So it really started back in 2014, actually, when I had my interview here. And I I met my, my eventual stalker at a social bowling night that we had during the interview process. And he was really cool. I mean, he was a a neuroscience student. He was really charismatic. He was super outgoing. He was very attractive, (laughs) in my opinion. And he, you know, immediately came up to me and we were talking. And after my interview, I left and he Facebook friend requested me and then posted on my wall saying, you know, good luck making up your mind. I hope that you pick here. And at the time, I was just like, oh, awesome. Like, I'm going to have a friend there. He was really outgoing. He seemed to get along with everyone. And when I joined the program here and started that fall, he was friends with all of my eventual friends. He knew everyone. He was a more senior student. He was extremely smart and was really open to you know sharing and helping others. So I thought he was a really cool guy. And then after I broke up with my boyfriend at the time, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm here for you if you need to talk about anything. And I, I took him up on that offer. I was feeling pretty down. And, you know, pretty much instantly, he was texting me nonstop. He was driving me from home to school and back. And then, like, I want to say it was it was gradual, but it, looking back on it, it was pretty sudden where we were having lunch together with friends at first, and then it just became us, and it was just always us together. And I didn't, I didn't really realize at the time that this was weird. I was living with my ex at the time. We were staying in different rooms, but <laughs> we were trying to work things out, and I told him, hey, you know, whatever going on has got to stop. But he had caught wind of me going with my boyfriend um, to another state for the weekend, and he showed up at my house. 
demanded that I stay in West Virginia and celebrate his birthday with him. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> like, please leave. This is not okay. And he tried to force himself into my house and, you know, get into it with my boyfriend. And I'm like, get out of here. Like, I'm going to call the police. Whatever you think is going on is not going on between us. Like, I, I like you, but I, I really want to try to, you know, work things out with my boyfriend. And so, you know, we go and I thought that things would be fine. And I came back and he was like leaving notes on my desk. He was leaving flowers on my desk. He was texting me all the time. He just texted me constantly and called me nonstop until I blocked him because I was like, you know, we're, we're not together. <laughs> like whatever is going on here in your head is not real. But then he Facebook messaged me, he Snapchatted me, he emailed me, and I blocked him on all of this. And then he used an app on his phone to give him another number to text me and ask me if we could talk. And at that, this point, I was like, I'm going to call the police if you do not stop this. I didn't hear anything back. So I go on vacation for two weeks, I come back, and it's the same thing. He's leaving notes on my desk. He's staring at me. He's trying to get to me through my friends. He shows up at my house to hang out with my friends and, you know, stands there and, and looks at me. And eventually this, this wore me down. I am not super proud of the way that I broke up with my ex, but I started dating Daniel at after the end of my first year in the PhD program. Did you have feelings for Daniel or was it just kind of he just kept going and wearing you down and you just thought, fine, I'll give in and see what happens? I, I cared about him. I don't want to say that I had like, you know, strong feelings because at the time I was, I was wrapped up in my boyfriend, <laughs> but I, I did like him. I thought he was attractive and, you know, everyone else really liked him. So I thought that, I guess I, I thought I would give it a chance because he seemed to obviously be really into me. And my friends were like, you know, no one, no one has ever caught his eye like this. Like I've never seen him be this into someone. So I was like, well, I guess there must be something. What were some of the first red flags when you and Daniel started dating? I think the biggest red flag for me was that he wouldn't take no. Like, I told him, no, leave me alone. No, I don't want to be with you. No, I'm not leaving my boyfriend. And it was just this, like, constant, just, I care about you. I want to be with you. Let's be together. Let's do this. Like, please give me a chance. Let's work it out. And I'm sitting there, like, I've never experienced something like this. Uh, no, 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 no. And then finally I was like, okay, like if you'll stop, sure. And I thought it would be a like one year deal. Like he would graduate and we would move on with our lives. And that was not the case. That first year that you were dating him, when did it start going downhill? When did you start questioning your, your decisions? 
Within the first three months, I mean, there was the first, like, instance of physical abuse where we got into some sort of an argument at a football game and it ended up with me trying to keep him from driving home drunk and he threw me down in the front yard of the townhouse that I was living in with my roommates and dragged me through my front door. I rationalized it in that, you know, he was intoxicated, I was intoxicated, like things were just, you know, we, we were both stressed out, it's a new relationship, I don't know, growing pains. And he was saying, you know, this won't happen again, okay, trust. So then I moved in with him in April of 2016, and <laughs> that's when things got really bad. That's when uh, just every little teeny fight ended up with like, I'm the kind of person that if I get upset, I have to leave, I have to calm down, I can gather my thoughts and then discuss them. And he wouldn't let that happen because if I left, I was leaving him and he would throw me around until I could not get up and could not leave and then I would just comply. For me, leaving was social suicide. It was being removed from my very tight-knit community of neuroscientists. It was you know, losing all of my friends. If I, if I blew the whistle on him, then it meant I was alone. I was more afraid of the social suicide than I was of being killed. And I don't know why. From the outside, it would just look like I was being a jerk, you know? And blowing the whistle on him and reporting him. I mean, our bosses were friends. We, we worked on the same floor. We saw each other every day. My friends were his friends and vice versa. And so like everything was so, so together that I didn't, I didn't want to force people to pick sides. I didn't want to deal with the drama. I didn't want to go to court. I didn't, I didn't want to live through that. I didn't want to put everyone else through that. I didn't want to go through that. I just wanted to suck it up and wait till he graduated. Was there anybody else that you thought was suspicious of what was going on between you two and his abuse? My mom actually one day asked me, she was like, hey, do you just just wondering, do you think he would ever hurt you? And I, I blew up at her and was like, no, absolutely not. Like, I can't believe you would say something like that. He's so sweet. And inside I was like screaming, help me. <laughs> But I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't, whether it was the strength or the, the mental ability to deal with it at the time, it just, you know, no one else from the outside really knew, but my mom picked up on it right away. <laughs> Producing our podcast and researching true crime is one of our passions, but we need the occasional break. For a mental palate cleanser, our go-to refresher is Best Fiends. We both enjoy the puzzle-solving aspect and like to talk about what level we've gotten to, rather than always focusing on stalkers. It's a casual game that anyone can play, and I'm already on level 59. 
I love all the bright colors and enjoy playing it first thing in the morning to get my brain ready for the day. I like to post my progress on my Instagram stories at feathergirl77. Our listeners should post their progress too. Tag me, we can do it together. It's unlike other puzzle games and gets updated monthly so it never gets old. I get to collect tons of characters and then use them strategically for the next level. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. What are some of the next layers that you had to experience and endure with him at this time? There's two like real big events. It was April 20th of 2016. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of this house unless I'm in an ambulance. And so I took a kitchen knife and threatened to kill myself. And he looked at me and said, I dare you. (laughs) And so I, you know, went, tried to, tried to get the confidence to do that. And he goes, wait, 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 let me call your mom. Will talking to your mom calm you down? And I was like, oh, great, mom, mom can get help. Awesome. And he calls her and he says, Sky's having some sort of a mental breakdown. I think she's going to kill herself. And I'm just sitting there staring at him like, what? (laughs) Like you just tossed me around like a rag doll and I'm having a mental breakdown. (laughs) But I get, you know, he, he eventually gives me the phone and I'm, incoherent. I can't get words out. I'm just saying, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this on repeat. My mom's like, Sky, sweetie, calm down. Like, I I can't understand what you're saying. And he goes to take the phone again because he doesn't want me saying anything. (laughs) And I start screaming and trying to get the phone back and phone hangs up. Mom panics. Mom calls the police. She doesn't know where I am. Eventually, they they find his phone number, they call him, they say that they're going to have the police come check in on us. We get cleaned up, put hoodies on, and I lied. And just straight up lied to the police. (laughs) Told them there was nothing going on. And then, more or less, uh, packed up a bag the next morning and went home and said... I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to live with you anymore. He sweet-talked his way back in, you know, the I love you. We just need to move into a bigger place. Everything will be fine. Like, there's no need to get upset. And so we lived together for a couple more months. And finally, I was just done. I I didn't want to do it anymore. But this is when, I think this is really when the stalking started. Was the second that I got away from him. Once that happened and the stalking began, what what were some of the first things that he started to do? Well, almost immediately, um, people were starting to isolate me. I guess I could say I I was shunned, just like I thought was going to happen. I was completely shunned. There was only a handful of people that believed me. I mean, he went around telling everyone that I was crazy, I was bipolar, that I abused him, 
Uh, I heard everything about myself. I heard <laughs> that I was schizophrenic. I heard that I'm a bitch and I deserved it. Um, I heard that I definitely abused him, that it was all me. And there was a point where, you know, we'd go to these big crowded seminars and I would walk in and everyone would go quiet and stare at me. And it was like, as soon as I got out, I was, I was done. Like socially, I was done. I had my couple of people that stayed by my side and I'm forever grateful for them. But it was really, really difficult. And being as scared of him as I was, I kept work out of our protective order or my protective order <laughs> against him. Um, so that he could continue going to school and finish his PhD because not only was I terrified of what he would do if that was taken away from him, but I wanted him to continue because he is a brilliant scientist. And we had a working arrangement. One incident that I didn't know about until months later after a student conduct hearing was that when Pokemon Go came out, like... <laughs> Every 90s kid in the entire world had Pokemon Go, and I wanted to play. So a colleague and I went to uh, the Rail Trail, which is a path by the river, and there were all these awesome Pokemon. And he was there, sitting on a bench, staring at me, and I had no idea. I don't know how he knew that I was going to be there. I don't know like why he stayed, because I literally had a protective order against him. Sky, how did you go about getting the full protective order? So I got the protective order the day that I, uh, the day that I left. I was taken to the sheriff's department and asked to tell them what happened. And then tell them again and again and then write down a statement and then I could apply for a or an emergency protective order which I was granted and that was awesome but then I had to go to court in order to get the full-blown protective order so I had to show up see him uh, tell the judge why I needed a protective order and then was granted that. And so I had a full-blown protective order that more or less just stated that he could not contact me, whether direct or indirect, meaning social media or anything like that. And I kept work out of it because I wanted both of us to continue to go to school. But he pretty quickly violated that protective order. Um, at first I couldn't, you know, quote unquote prove it, but he, he left a, a toy on my desk for our one year anniversary. So I guess it was a, a, a gift more or less um, the day of our, what would have been our one year anniversary. And it was this stupid little toy that came from a like 50 cent machine at a restaurant that we would always go to and I knew it because 
he had, I had just on impulse gotten one once and brought it to the table and was like, here, you know, cute, silly little thing. And he described to me that that was like one of his most exciting things when he was younger was getting those little toys from those machines and that he had like a whole collection of them and his grandma had thrown them away. So it was really touching for him. And so every time we went there, I would get him one and he left that on my desk. So I started getting a little paranoid, you know, he's leaving things at my desk, he's following me and I don't know it. Uh, so I, I put a camera at my desk. I actually used an old cell phone and connected it to the internet so that I could see pretty much whenever I wanted, but it would automatically record uh, with motion or lights. And I caught him a couple days later, going to my desk, standing there, staring at it, touching things, walking by it. And I freaked out, <laughs> called the campus police, and they're like, well, his face isn't in it. Like, we got to get his face in it. So we go up and like readjust it so that now it's on an angle where we can get his face. And that Sunday, there he was again. And he goes right to my desk, sees the camera, goes like, oh, crap, <laughs> and walks away and then walks by again to like, make it look, I think, that he was, you know, just trying to walk through the area. And the next morning, he yelled at me over my headphones. So, like, at work, I pretty much was really busy non nonstop, like, never stopped. And I would always wear he headphones and listen to music a little louder than I should. And he yelled over my headphones, can you not walk through here? And I'm like, oh my God, you've been going to my desk, going through my things, you're leaving me gifts, now you're talking to me. So that incident along with, or incident along with the gift and the videos were enough to get him on a violation of the protective order. And so he was arrested for a second time. What was going through his head at this time, like, you know, the, uh, upon the second arrest, like what was the talk amongst, you know, your fellow peers and uh, other students in the uh, in the community? People thought I was out to get him. You know, he was just walking by my desk like this girl has gone crazy. She's so paranoid. Uh, no one still at this point, no one believed me. I mean, granted, I had my very close friends that believed me, but the vast majority of people had completely turned on me. Looking back on it, that I mean, everyone completely turned on me. Like if it was, if I was isolated before then, now it was really bad because now I was just this paranoid, crazy person that was out to get him. So after he was arrested for that second time, um, we were put on different schedules so that we weren't supposed to overlap. He waited for me at my car multiple times. Um, waited, just watched me get in my car so that I could drive away. Uh, even though, you know, obviously he was not supposed to have overlap time with me. So at this point, I, I started fighting and I demanded to have a parking pass in the gated lot so that I had a you know swipe card to be safe, get in. 
Um, and then I was hit with a psych evaluation. <laughs> After he was arrested, in order to come back, he had to have a psych eval. And apparently the general consensus was that from the graduate department was that if he had one, I had to have one. And I said, no way. <laughs> um, I was threatened with suspension. I was threatened to be, you know, more or less kicked out of the program. And luckily I had uh, Title IX take care of that for me. But I mean, here is this person who has abused me. He's stalking me. He's violated a protective order. He's been arrested twice. And they're trying to put me through a psyche valve to get me out. Where during all this was your safe haven? Did you have any place of solace that you could turn to? Any person, any, you know, thing that you could escape just for a moment's peace? I had my best friend. Um, she was extremely supportive. But this started taking my whole life. I mean, I was constantly looking over my shoulder. I was always paranoid that he was going to find me. At this point, everything was centered around staying away from him. So once he got moved to another building, I I felt a lot more confident. Like, I, I calmed down a lot. I had free reign to my own work. Um, I was allowed to do pretty much what I needed to do to progress in the program. And I felt, I felt safe. Er. <laughs> But he would then show up at farmers markets and walk around and look at me or stand off him, you know, from afar and stare at me. And I think that was around the time when I stopped seeing his old car and I started seeing this silver forerunner following me. I, I saw it everywhere, you know, I saw it on the way to Kroger, I saw it on the way to home, I saw it on the way to the gym, I saw it just driving to go drive because I needed to get some, you know, just go clear my mind. So at this point, he's been following you around in his new car. He's still following you. He's still stalking you. What do you do next? I didn't have any proof. He just, he was there I didn't you know I never saw him I just saw the car constantly and this was probably the fall of 2017 and I had a big conference that I had to go to um, Society for Neuroscience and he went there and I I mean this conference is 30,000 people. It is hard to run into people I want to run into. Like I'm trying to find the big, awesome scientists and I can't hunt them down, but I saw him every single day. We finally, after a year and some went to court for the domestic charge and then things died down, I think for that. Um, what happened with the court case when, when you went for the domestic charge? Uh, settled with a plea because I, he actually wanted to go through a jury trial and 
I was terrified of that because, you know, not only was I on assault, like constantly assaulted verbally and emotionally and all of that by everything around me, I, you know, then would have to sit in front of a panel of random people and tell them what he did to me. And I couldn't handle that. So we settled with a plea and he got a like 33 week long domestic violence course that he had to complete and extended the protective order for another year. On August 6th of 2018, I was trying to drive home, well not home, trying to drive to a friend's house uh, to plan for a bridal shower and this Silver Forerunner comes out of the side road and the guy at it like ducks down behind the steering wheel and I'm like, huh, that's that's kind of weird. Maybe they're, they're looking for sunglasses. <laughs> and I turn and I go down the street and this car is like an awkward distance behind me. Like they're going really slow for going down this hill and I speed up. They stay with me. I stop in the middle of the road. They stop at a distance. You know, they're not getting angry at me and driving around me. And so I turn, I make a couple turns, and I start panicking. And I'm like, oh my god, this has to be him. There's no friggin' way. Like, this is too random that I've been seeing this car constantly, and now it's behind me. So I get the license plate. So I go to the police. Um, they run the plates, which I'm, I'm honestly extremely fortunate for how the police handled this. They took everything really seriously, especially in this instance. I was pretty shaken up. I mean, I was like <laughs> crying. <laughs> and the officer ran the plates. It was him. Everything makes sense now. My whole world like implodes. He has been following me for I don't know how many years now. He knows where I live. He knows where I work. He knows everything about my life. <laughs> and he was arrested for a third time <laughs> and charged with another violation of the protective order. So now he's violated it three times. What happens to him next? So <laughs> now the terms... Well, because of the terms of the violation of the protective order and his terms of bail, he is not allowed within 500 feet of me. So he's no longer allowed on campus without my permission. He's not allowed on campus, so he's not allowed to go to school anymore? So technically, he's still a student. Um, <laughs> he is supposed to be in his like writing phase of his dissertation, so he shouldn't need to do lab work, anything like that. But he has now been in that for almost two years and still hasn't graduated. It was pretty much radio silence there for a little bit. There was one incident in January of last year where I was walking to my car with my friend. Her and I were walking down to this gravel lot, which is not very well lit, but that's where we were parking. And I noticed that there is a car next to mine and it's silver pretty much shaped like a forerunner. It's had its lights on and it's been uh, next to me the entire you know walk down. And as soon as we get close to the point where I think I can see like into the car, it zooms off. I didn't get the plates, I panicked. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it was him, but I, I don't have proof. 
tell us about your last court date. Like, what happened? This is my shining moment. This is where, like, I really feel like I, I healed the most and I took control the most. Um, we we go to court and again, you know, there's going to be a plea. Like, it's so hard to prove stalking, and you know, I didn't have video evidence of him finding me and following me in his car, but. I forced him to apologize to me in front of everyone in court, in front of his parents, and, you know, smiled and stared at him in the eyes like, you're done. This is over. And I have not seen him since. What did that make you feel like to be able to obviously get him into that position where he actually finally had to admit it? I felt really strong. I felt like I finally had power over something. I had some amount of control over what he had done to me. And, you know, to have that moment where I could stare at him in the eyes and him say, I apologize for what I put you through was the best moment. (laughs) How did your friends and family, like even the skeptics or the ones that didn't take this seriously, respond to that once you got victory in court? Since it's been, you know, many years now, I think people mostly believe me. Like they, they understand. After being arrested three times and going to court however many times, and video evidence and I mean I think it's it's pretty obvious now and a lot of people have already forgotten about him the people that he knew and loved graduated and I'm not telling other people (laughs) um so yeah he's he's basically been forgotten about which is really nice What kind of advice would you give to other people in your situation? I know it's scary. And I know how much you want to just run and hide and pretend that this isn't happening, but take control. Report this. Gather as much information as you can and don't give up. Do not stop recording it you are worthy of a happy life not being followed by this creep (laughs) sky thank you that uh that's amazing words of encouragement and something our listeners need to hear thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much for having me i really appreciate you guys taking this time If anyone out there is in need of help or is a victim of stalking, please reach out. You can find a list of resources on our Instagram at StrictlyStalkingPod. I'm Jake Diptula. And I'm Jamie Beebe. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Strictly Stalking.